Fire season is coming. As part of the fight, CAL FIRE is looking at culling back invasive non-native species of grasses that play a key role in the spreading of wildfire. Around the county, crews clear out overgrown brush, creating staging areas for fighting fire. But researchers warn the plan can only work if invasive grasses are kept at bay. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Josh Armisen-Smith, you're a reporter on the Enterprise team at the Union Tribune. And recently, you looked into an ongoing problem with invasive grasses and the threat that they pose when it comes to wildfire. What is CAL FIRE doing about this? CAL FIRE is engaged in a massive project to remove brush around the entire state. Uh, Fuel management is what it's called. Um, Everything from... Uh, coastal sage scrub and chaparral species here in Southern California to um, taller trees in in traditional forests like you would think of up in the Sierra Nevadas. So what are some of the grasses that aren't supposed to be here but are? Well, here in Southern California, we have a lot of invasive grass and invasive plants. I mean, they're all over the place. Everything from black mustard to star thistle um, to, uh, you know, just like a whole range of things that have been here for decades, if not hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that when you start chopping down vegetation to allow firefighters staging areas from which to fight fires or to try to slow the spread of flames, that can leave room for these invasive grasses to pop up. And researchers are very nervous about this as CAL FIRE starts to ramp up its um, fuel management program. Here in San Diego County, CAL FIRE is talking about treating uh, 5,000 acres a year is a massive increase, 5,000 acres a year with prescribed burns, chainsaws, all kinds of stuff. And the question is, if you don't get in there every six months, every year to, mm-hmm. to see what's happened, you could get a profusion of these types of invasive grasses, which um, make the starting of a wildfire much more likely. When they get dry, I mean, these things go up in a second, and they can carry those flames into uh, landscapes, in, into brush types that burn hotter like a, like a chaparral. And so the combination of both can be very dangerous. And when Cal Fryer goes and like tries to cull back some of these grasses, what's the strategy? Because I, I can't imagine like literally just removing all grasses and just leaving bare earth, right? They're usually around remote housing developments. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just finished two, one in Guatai, one in Crest, and they cut 200-foot swaths of vegetation back from around, like a perimeter around the housing development. The idea, again, is to give them staging area, but if invasive grasses stop pop, start popping up in there, then um, that could create a situation where you're having ignition more likely near the house because we know that more than 90% of all fires are started by humans in California. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, this may kind of solve one problem but create others in a sense. 
Well, especially if it's not monitored regularly, according to the researchers. That's what they're most concerned about. If you're going to do these massive fuel modification projects, you really need to go back and make sure that it hasn't been overrun by highly flammable invasive plants. County says it comes back every three to five years. Mm -hmm. Scientists say you really need to be checking on this thing at least annually. And how well planned out is CAL FIRE when it comes to monitoring these invasive grasses? Honestly, we don't really know very, very much about that. I know that they're aware of what species are native and which ones are invasive. Um, We were at a fuel modification project out in Crest where they were trying to actually, they were clearing away huge swaths of vegetation and they were leaving some of the native plants and being very aggressive with all of the invasive plants, although they were removing a lot of native plants as well. Um, So they're aware of which plants are which, or at least they have someone on site during these projects who's aware of that. But mostly they're just indiscriminately clearing vegetation. Yeah, and I guess it does make sense for the sake of, like, you know, rural areas to having, like, a a defensible space, if you would, that prevents fires. But there's only so much you can do consistently. Well, most of the research suggests that these defensible spaces don't prevent fires. Mm -hmm. They just give firefighters a staging area to set up from which to fight a fire if it's coming toward a housing development. However, what we know is that a lot of these housing developments, they don't burn because the flames reach them. They burn because embers reach them. And then fires can spread from house to house. Mm -hmm. A lot of the researchers will tell you when you do a postmortem on a housing development that's been reduced to rubble because of fire, you have lots of standing trees and vegetation around it that weren't burned. It's when the embers get inside the houses and then the houses become the fuel themselves. So the fuel breaks, there is a lot of controversy on how much this actually stops or prevents uh, fire from spreading. And we're also getting into fire season in Southern California. How worried is Cal Fire about what's coming in the next several months? Oh, I think uh, tremendously worried. Everyone is is worried when those Santa Ana winds, those easterly winds whip up and start coming over, coming down those hills. I mean, it can be really explosive, you know, until we get some solid rain out there. Everyone's on high alert. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far, this area has avoided a massive fire for the short amount of time, but you never know when the next one's going to happen. Harris Fire. 2007 was the last really, I think, massive, massive fire. Yeah, but everyone is is on high alert, um, especially in places where you do have these invasive grasses near roads. If you look at where ignitions happen, uh, most researchers will tell you it looks like a road map. You've got cars blasting along landscapes that are often adjacent to wildland areas, but those landscapes have also been disturbed because Mm -hmm. we've put roads in and slashing out the native vegetation to put down asphalt leads to invasive grasses. So you have this situation where 
Um, as one researcher recently told me, it's like we drizzled our roadsides with a, with a little bit of lighter fluid. Mm-hmm. Now, as those cars blast through there on a regular basis, someone throws a cigarette out the window or maybe a spark comes off a car that gets into those highly flammable grasses, shoots up the side of a hill, gets into a chaparral landscape, which burns longer and hotter. The winds come in and you have a recipe for disaster. Yeah, that sounds like the perfect storm there of a wildfire. And that's pretty much what we're facing. I think the researchers are saying we need to be much more cognizant of these invasive species, whether we're planting them ourselves Mm -hmm. unwittingly for ornamentally around our houses can be a very dangerous thing, or whether um, they're just seeping into areas that we've disturbed, we need to be very careful, especially because these grasses pop up where humans have disturbed the landscape, which is usually near where humans um, are driving or walking or living. And we know that humans are the sources of these wildfires. We call them wildfires, but not more than 90% of these are started by humans. Human so, fire sounds kind of crazy. Yeah, they're, they're human fires, right? So if you get landscapes where it's human, highly invasive and flammable grass, and then out into the backcountry, we've created these situations where fires just pop up almost you know, every, every year as soon as we get those hot, dry, windy conditions. And then the only question is, does one get out of control? All right. Josh Remsen-Smith. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. In other environmental news, a union dispute is delaying a plan to boost the city's water independence. The Pure Water Project aims to purify sewage water into potable water with the hope of supplying one-third of the city's water by 2035. The city had a compromise allowing union and non-union workers to work on the project, which is why the San Diego chapter of the Associated General Contractor says the agreement is violating a 2012 city ballot measure that prevents such labor compromises. The delay is costing the city $4 million a month. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. Try some of our other podcasts, too. Our Ideas and Opinion team hosts The Conversation, which features interviews with newsmakers and experts about San Diego news and issues. To see all of our audio offerings, go to uniontrip.com slash podcasts. Until next time.